Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I'm on Lionhead Mountain on Lantau with writer and photographer Martin Williams. Martin has had a lifelong love of wildlife, especially birds. He's produced scientific reports here and in Baidehe in mainland China on weather patterns and bird migration. It was a sunny morning this week. As we perched on rocks, Martin with his camera and binoculars, we got to see buzzards and a few crows. And I learned about the perilous journey the birds of prey make on the flyway from Luzon in the Philippines on an easterly wind in the spring, where the next piece of land is here. So they have to get it right. The migration of birds is simply amazing. Their inbuilt GPS systems, their ability to find the exact same patch of maipo or a lake in America, or some grass with locusts in Mongolia. Martin has a website with some phenomenal nature photos, and I'll be giving those details at the end of the program. But first, here's us on the cliffs of Lionhead Mountain, looking out to sea over Shekpik Reservoir. We're on a hilltop called Lionhead by uh, Nongping on Lantau. So we're facing south towards the South China Sea, Shekpik Reservoir below us, the hills of southwest Lantau, kind of below us and, and away towards the horizon to the south. So we're watching out to see if any migrating birds appear from over these places. Is this a particular good time in the spring? This is prime time in the spring. It's, it's just about to dip off very, very quickly as the spring migration. But for some late spring birds, this is their peak passage around about the last half of April into early May. So hopefully the weather's good today, but you just don't know. So far, there's not so many birds, but you never know. There could be a really big flock up here any, any minute now. Well, we've got nice warm weather sitting on the top of the hill, bit of road noise down below, and uh, we're sitting at the back of the big Buddha uh, near the Nongping cable car. Looking over, what have you seen so far this morning? The best ones I've seen are Chinese sparrowhawks, which are small birds of prey, really nice. They've got a sort of white underwing with black wingtips, soft orange wash to the belly and a grey head, grey upper parts. And they've probably come from Luzon, was the last place that they were, that they touched land, before probably arriving on islands in Zhuhai to the south of us after maybe a 20-hour flight. And then they're migrating north now. So in winter, they might have been down towards somewhere like Bali in Indonesia. They've travelled up through the Philippines. These easterly winds have helped carry them over the sea towards Hong Kong. And they could be nesting in the summer, so next month and into June, maybe Korea or northeast China, even into eastern Russia as well. So making a long migration. So this morning you've seen also a grey-faced buzzard. Yeah, the grey-faced buzzard is slightly bigger than they are, or probably twice the size or more, really. But it, too, has got these long, slender wings, and it, too, follows what's called the oceanic flyway for the birds of prey. So they travel kind of the Ring of Fire Island, so Taiwan, the Philippines, down to Indonesia, and back again, with some of them also breeding in Japan, as well as Northeast Asia. And the grey-faced buzzard flies generally at late March, so that we saw one day in March 367 from this hilltop, just three of us watching, and that's the Hong Kong record total for that bird, because mostly they're flying along that flyway, so it will take them past Taiwan from Luzon, 
more directly to the China coast. So we need those special conditions with easterly winds. And that's when I come and give this hilltop a try and then see if I get lucky and see a number or maybe a lot of days you don't see any at all. But it can be really great. Sometimes they pass really close. You feel almost you could reach your hand out and touch them. Uh, they're so close. Other times they're soaring way high overhead and almost dots overhead. So they come using the easterlies. Um, so you're, you're actually, as well as uh, being an ornithologist, you actually are looking at uh, weather a lot. Yeah, looking at the weather patterns is really important, especially for bird migration of all kinds, really. that These birds of prey are very specific for Hong Kong. You come with a southerly wind, you probably see none at all, because there are probably none close to Hong Kong. Imagine yourself flying from Luzon towards the Fujian coast, southeast China, and on a southerly or a nice weather, it's calm, you just keep flying, and you reach the China coast and continue northwards over land. But if there's a strong east wind blowing, then it starts getting very tiring going into that, or a northeasterly. So it's really tiring. It's easier to just get drifted by the wind and go slightly downwind, almost like a, a yacht might be tacking in the wind or something, so that you use less energy. You're not risking exhaustion and dying and falling in the sea. So you're going off route and you arrive somewhere like Hong Kong, and then you can rest, which is what we see some birds doing, maybe like Potoi, you can see birds resting there. They might spend a day or two on, on that island. And then you can reorient, you can migrate, and then once you're over land, it's much safer, of course. You can land at any time, and you can then continue your journey to your intended place. And that's been shown, too, by satellite tracking. One of these grey-faced buzzards did just that, Three of the four track birds migrated north from Luzon, reached the China coast, continued. But this one of them it encountered easterly winds. It got blown somewhat off course, but it arrived, it landed, it rested, and then it migrated and it, and it finished in, I think, North Korea for the summertime. So they can know still where they're going, even they've gone a bit off course. The birds have got amazing sense of direction. I know, I mean, it's incredible that they have this kind of inbuilt GPS system. It really is kind of a GPS. They can do things like magnets. They can know almost the inclination of the magnetic field, not just north and south, but also they can tell how far south or north they are by the angle of, of the magnetic field. They can maybe see polarised light, so you can look in the sky and, and see a different colour of blue sky depending on where the sun is and the time of day. So you can orientate yourself by that. They can have star charts built in. There's been experiments with caged birds that showed if you rotated the star chart the birds would jump and hop in a different direction they know things about the time of day they know things about the weather you need to know i think that these birds would need to know the kind of conditions that are good to leave luzon this is the most dangerous flight of their life i would think is leaving luzon towards the china coast because if you encounter a big storm thunderstorms that could be the end of you. You've got hundreds of kilometres to move. So they need to have judgment of weather as well. So many things are built into them, as well as local recognition. Some birds, if they're older, they may even have been in Hong Kong before. They might know the hills. They might know Lantau, might know these islands to rest. They might know other places along. The young birds don't have that. They maybe leave the nests in the autumn and they have to migrate alone, some of them. Some will go with flocks. So leaders that can help them along, but others have to do just navigate this course. And there's some other incredible migrations. There's a, a shorebird called a bar-tailed godwit, 
and that has been found to leave Alaska after breeding in Alaska and it will migrate for maybe six days to nine days flying non-stop it can't land on the sea it can only land on small islands there's not many over the Pacific and it migrates with almost dead reckoning to an estuary in New Zealand people ring bells there to welcome the New Zealand spring when these birds arrive. The church bells are rung. It's a harbinger of spring. Some of them go off course to Fiji or Papua New Guinea and places, but a lot of them make it. Six days flying. They fuel up so much that they don't have a stomach when they leave. They cannot feed anymore when they're leaving Alaska. They're about 50% body fat. They've had organ changes. They're just designed to flap and they have to flap all the time. We're watching these birds of prey that can just glide along when they want to. But those godwits have to flap day and night, six six days. They stop flapping for a long time. They're going to, for any length of time, really, they're going to glide down and crash in the sea. They have to just keep flapping. So it's, it's an incredible marathon that, that they do. But even these, and the smaller birds we're seeing, swifts, which you get swifts, they're a bit like the swallows that people might be familiar with. But there's a couple of species here that pass here, and we, um, we might see today, and they go down to Australia for the northern winter time, and then they'll go up and even as far as Kamchatka on, on eastern Russia. So they too are doing really stunning migrations. Another swift breeds in Beijing. Anybody who goes to the Temple of Heaven or around the Forbidden City in the summertime, they're very familiar. They scream and sort, go around, and they migrate to Africa. So they've been tracked doing that, and they've, again, very accurate. I've seen one in Hong Kong, and it might be the only one ever in Hong Kong, because their accuracy is so good, they can leave from north of us, go to Africa. So do some cuckoos and other birds. So I think migration to me is fascinating. And here we can just see a little snapshot, a glimpse of it, and see what I think are sort of wonders of the natural world, flying over our heads on a hilltop on Nongping Lantau. This is a spring migration. Why are they migrating at all? <laughs> well... It's use of resources, in a way, by species overall. I mean, the easy thing might seem to be, let's all stay in the tropics, and it's kind of summer all year round, apart from it rains sometimes, it doesn't rain other times. What an easy life. But in the north, come the summertime, there's an awful lot of resources up there as well. So for birds like the grey-faced buzzard, the Chinese sparrowhawk we're looking at, they can move north and they can find frogs, insects, small animals that come out in the summertime and make use of those resources and then when, when it's cold and it's winter and those are gone then they make the great long journey and feed on similar things in the tropics. There are some other birds, the shorebirds like that godwit that, that I mentioned partly they can get rich feeding in the winter but if you go to the Arctic because of that cold winter there are very few predators and so you can have many birds nest in the arctic but there's just going to be a few arctic foxes a few other things around so it's a relatively safe place so often they go to the arctic they don't spend much more time there than nesting you even get some where they lay the eggs and the female then migrates of some of the shorebird species she leaves the male to bring up the young and then he'll go and some birds as well they're just not that interested in staying long in their in their summer areas and will just move straight afterwards it's almost like get the nesting over with and let's go back to winter or the migration areas where feeding and, and life is easier it's absolutely fascinating though that i find that you'll have a fledgling that, that is then i presume has to be fully grown before they're flying just because of the the distance that they're about to do i mean as far as we know is that then training from the older birds around or is that going to be again inbuilt 
it's just inbuilt. And one that's just coming to mind is a cuckoo. As I say, cuckoo migration is phenomenal. But their parents, in their case, the female will lay the egg in another bird's nest. And they're so extraordinary, cuckoos, that they've evolved so that their eggs look very similar to the eggs of maybe a small warbler and the pattern on them so that the warbly, the parents, there's almost a race. The parents, if they recognise it, might try and throw the egg out. But if they don't recognise that extra egg that's been laid there, the cuckoo, and then the young will race. So the cuckoo grows up and there's and it looks enormous compared to the warblers, but they can't teach it anything about the rest of its life. It needs all those things to navigate to Australia built in. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at three crows flying past. <laughs> Sadly, the sky is not full of birds of prey today. Now there's four crows flying past. So these are the local large-billed crows. They're interesting birds, and they seem to have a community around here. I sit here for quite many hours now, and you hear them calling, and they call from one hillside to another another hillside and all that. They're smart Well, I thought you'd birds. made a new mate on the rocks as well. <laughs> I've made a friend that I've learned... Apparently, if people throw it, people throw throw it bits of bread, then this crow rather likes it and is eating bits and maybe taking other bits away and it will now come within a metre or two, while often in Hong Kong they're very, very wary. Now, when I'm on a llama and go up on a hill there, um, I normally will see plenty of black kites. Well, yeah, black kite is the bird of prey of Hong Kong. But actually... They do migrate, the northern birds the same, they migrate down and we get more, so that more roost on Hong Kong Island in the winter than we see in the summer, but they're here year-round. And it's not obvious, I've wondered here, would I see birds passing here on migration, flocks of them, but I, but I haven't. So it's almost like they quietly disappear from Hong Kong and quietly come in without us being obvious that, oh, there's more today or they're coming in. But then people counting them at the roost and the night evening roost that you can see near Magazine Gap. And you can see many of them in the evening, but you can count just more in the winter, maybe a 2,000, which is one of the largest roosts in, in East Asia of black kite as well. They're also interesting because we don't really have gulls in Hong Kong, apart from Maipo. So the kites will feed on fish that you, in most places in a harbour you would see gulls swooping down at fish. But in Hong Kong, Victoria Harbour, you see black kites doing that. When we saw the grey-faced buzzard earlier, is it's using the wind, really, isn't it? It's using the sort of breeze. It will use the partly the breeze that's coming up the hillside and then goes up. So it wants rising air currents to lift it, loft it higher into the air to migrate. So we'd seen that, that one that started migrating, and I think it had been resting in the trees here, so it came quite low overhead, which is very typical. They'll come out the trees, and then it starts circling around, and it's sensitive. It's looking for the rising air currents, and it finds those, and it's almost like getting in an elevator of air, and they'll go up circling round and round. That's a very typical way for a, a bird of prey to migrate. It will reach a certain height where it thinks that's enough, and it will then glide mostly and a little bit of wing flapping to go along, especially something huge like a vulture or an eagle. Then it can really save a lot of energy that way. That is why a lot of birds will m move over land. And so some birds that do that, like a bird called honey buzzard, they nest in Japan and they have very broad wings. Flapping for them over the sea would be really hard. 
and they will fly all the way around from Japan, maybe through Korea, across China, down through Thailand, through the, the peninsula, down at Peninsula Thailand, where there's some hills people count birds, and then through Java and, and across to maybe, a, again, around about Bali. So it's not at all a straight-line route, just because it's a lot safer for them. And worldwide, a lot of birds do that. They go the either side of the Mediterranean, or they go across... Panama and through that narrow neck of land many many birds of prey from North America funnel through there so you can get half a million in a day so this oceanic flyway that we've got with these two birds of prey they're kind of modest to look at but that's the only one in the world where, where birds of prey regularly follow a flyway that is mostly over the ocean with just island stepping stones if they can find them. So where we're sitting here on Lionhead Mountain, do you then, so you, even if you have a day where you haven't seen very much, do you log it somewhere and, and are other people also logging throughout Hong Kong or in the Philippines so that we can see what's coming out of Luzon or get a guesstimate? I haven't really checked the Luzon and I probably should do because it should be interesting, but certainly across Hong Kong, a lot of keen bird watchers, there's a, an app called eBird that's now run from a university in America, Cornell. And you can log all the species, the numbers, or you might, you know, if you're a bit more casual, you just say, I've seen that bird. But generally, you'll log the number of species, and then someone, maybe a researcher or someone else, might like to check if they're maybe interested, what's at Lionhead? They can maybe see what I've put down for here. Coming up here, do you need an enormous amount of patience, or, is it, or does the excitement of actually seeing what you're expecting pay off? Well, I tend to get excited and then, and then maybe that in, it sort of deflates like a balloon over time. But I don't, I, I'm used to it, really, and I'm kind of a, a bit of a sucker for it. I actually really enjoy sitting on this hill. I enjoy scanning around. The odd time that a bird comes close, and there's always a bit of anticipation, maybe just another few minutes. And then after that, you think maybe tomorrow. You need to have that. And also, I've seen a lot of birds around around Hong Kong. A lot of things are pretty well known about Hong Kong. What's at Maipo? We know that very, very well. We know some other habitats. We know pretty well what's in various woodland places. A lot of people are doing that. What we don't know, and we haven't known until this, is what flies over, what can fly over at, at an altitude of even 500 metres. Until last year, when we discovered this hill and, and, and around has been really good for bird of prey migration and a few swifts and swallows and others. I used to think that it was all around the lowlands, but that was mainly because that was where people went. But now we come here, we realise there are birds passing high over the hilltops. And so I think that that's interesting. And because it's relatively new, then maybe we can get some novel sightings or something interesting species or just birds that we didn't expect to see in this place. There's one called Beater, where I've seen now a couple of parties fly over this hill. And I used to think you'd see those at my pole right down about sea level and they'd go mostly migrating over there. So to see them fly over hills at 500 metres, and that's a very, very brightly coloured bird with a nice kind of cheerful chirruping call that goes around in a little swirling party and does catch bees and others and it migrates in the daytime so you can get a chance of it maybe today now it's warm then you might hear the the nice melodic call of bee to come over 
And what would it sound like? <laughs> it goes or something a bit like like this little party of them calling to each other slightly like that but better a bit like a bulbul but a bit like bulbuls running their calls together and you just think oh and then they're going through the blue sky above you and and circling around and gone really nice to see when i'm sitting in the office in kowloon tong there is a set bird that for me is spring and that's the one that I won't be able to do now that is Ooh. yeah I can nearly do it <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> yeah sorry my whistle's not going well but that's the coel which I believe that is called in Cantonese noisy bird so that's a kind of cuckoo which is odd for being a cuckoo because it's black the male is jet black with a red eye and the female brown and white but yeah and that's a classic bird especially if you've got some banyans the old Chinese lowland village type thing it's it's more of a lowland bird there's several cuckoo species in Hong Kong but that one's around villages and, and yeah on the fringe of the city and that and it very distinctive if you know the song so it's Coel named after Bin it's Coel's song and is that a Boeing 747? I think that's um, a Dreamliner probably the latest I haven't a clue actually what that is <laughs> it's a plane sorry folks <laughs> Martin Williams, I'm with you on the top of, or yes, it makes it sound good, Lionhead Mountain. I actually got the bus up from uh, Chung Chung. So behind me is the Nongping cable car, which is, I'm going to treat myself to that on the way back down. In front of me is the Shek Peak Reservoir, and then we look out to sea with a few islands there. So Martin is a well-known and long-staying Hong Kong conservationist and uh, birdwatcher and also writer and uh, weatherman. We're on Lionhead Mountain here. The idea is that uh, we'd be able to see birds of prey, which we have done today, that are coming from Luzon and over to Hong Kong. Now, of course, if the wind was going slightly different, would they then just give Hong Kong a miss? They, I think they'd just give it a, an observations and results suggest they give it a total miss, yeah. You get a south wind. If you're coming from Luzon, you're just going to travel on that south wind and go past Taiwan. Maybe you stop at Taiwan. Maybe you bypass it go straight to the to the coast there's no reason to be at hong kong today we've been quite unlucky a friend of mine seen over 150 of those chinese sparrowhawks over mount davis on west hong kong island and he's saying just like i am that he's surprised that this place isn't really good because we've known that this place sometimes can be good the birds are setting off from those islands seeing lantau and aiming for this this hill area it's almost like a wall of hills here but also once they've crested this hill they'll be aware that they can ride on, on these thermals and just glide at a very big height, maybe 600, 700 metres. 600, <laughs> 700 metres high? That's what they're going to be by now, because we're at about 500 metres here, so you can see them going probably 100 and, and more metres high. So One, is it the plumage keeping them warm up there? It's not cold up there compared <laughs> to this, is it, really? We're, we're not exactly freezing at that. They can fly a lot higher, and even the, the, the small swifts can fly apparently at 1,000 metres or more, so they might be well above, above the ground when they're going for it. Some birds of prey I've seen over China where you, you're looking with binoculars, and I've been, done it finding dots at lunchtime the weather's it's got warm enough they've got a lot of height and they're just cruising in really good air streams well well above the ground and there's a, a goose is kind of famous for migrating over the himalayas it can fly at the height of everest so it's specially developed to be able to 
go to the north of the Himalayas and breed on high upland lakes and then go down maybe to India for the, for the winter. So again, that's another fantastic sort of bird that we've got in the world. You see it, it doesn't look so spectacular as a goose, but when you know it can do that kind of thing in the rarefied air where human beings need oxygen and you're in what they call the death zone, and that bird can be doing a migratory flight, flapping all the time at that height. Again, it's, a, it's one of the wonders of migration. What's the rarest bird you've seen here? From this hill, was that was last autumn. I was here with, with, with my friend Aki, and uh, we were seeing a smattering of birds coming, and he said, what's this one? And it looked interesting to both of us, so we grabbed some photos, and then both separately decided it was one called a booted eagle, which had only been found once before in Hong Kong and only quite recently. But it, we know it migrates southwest China, and in Thailand it's a rare migrant, only about 90. So that's a rare, very rare bird in East Asia. It's quite easy to see in India or across in Israel. But for us, that, you know, that was really exciting. When the birds migrate, you've described how, you know, that birds anyway have this inbuilt navigation. But of course, the older birds have the experience. So, so they're actually guiding uh, perhaps to the others if they've been to a, to a place before. But when they're actually moving, as, you know, if they go in a flock, as well as using the wind, like a cycling peloton, can they actually slipstream one another? That's not what the birds of prey do. They're, they don't, but a bird like the cranes, they do very much, and so, t so too do geese. That'll be another secret, probably bar-headed geese. You tend to follow one with satellite, but they might be in a flock. So a few of them, but it's only the really big ones, and, and you can watch cranes where they're doing that. I've seen you can get a V formation, so the one, and then it slipstream, and it forms a nice V from below. And if you watch from the side, they make a wonderful undulating where the leader rises a little, the next one rises, and there's like a ripple goes through the flock. It's great. And occasionally then they'll take turns and one will drop back, almost like when you're running a, a marathon and someone's in front, then they'll drop back a bit, then another one takes over. Very similar principle in a way, but the youngsters don't, of course, so it's the adults that are going to be leading that. And you can get in a flock like that, yeah, the experienced adult, and I've seen a research on cranes in America where they saw the flock go south, they were tracking them, and then they turned all of a sudden at one point, a sharp angle, and went to a wetland. Very much they decided that an adult thought, I know where I am now, he recognised the place, and there's a place to rest over here, so experience counts. But a lot of birds migrate just totally alone. We mentioned the cuckoo. It, it's reared by birds that aren't even its own parents. Then it's left. Its parents have already gone off to the south by the time that juvenile cuckoo is ready to fly. So it just has to go off by itself. So again, birds are finding these ways and doing kind of bizarre migrations that you would think if, if you put some a human in that area and said, do this, here's a map and a compass. Go from Alaska to New Zealand. Or there's another bird, there's a bird of prey that, that we get breeds in Mongolia, breeds in northeast China, and that travels down to North India. Then it goes from the coast of India, the, the west coast of India, it goes to Africa, across, across there, the Indian Ocean, it crosses and then, then reaches Africa. And then it will travel back that way as well. And again, that, this is an astonishing migration to go and catch maybe the locust swarms and insects like this that it feeds on in the winter in Africa. And then the same kind of insects over northeast China that it's catching, maybe the Mongolian grasslands and, and the northeast. 
So when you look at some of these feats of navigation and feats of how these birds can do it, some of the birds are tiny, so they're about as long as your finger or, or something like this, and they can travel to Siberia and down to Hong Kong for the winter. Some of them arrive, ringing studies show, they arrive in exactly the same patch of my pearl marshes for maybe two, three years running. They arrive in the air, they know it, they know they've had food there before, and they'll go back to just the same place. It really kind of mind-boggling, and that's a lot what's fascinating to see. I enjoyed that, out on a sunny day, looking at the skies to see what birds would come in. Thank you to writer and photographer Martin Williams for that insight on the spring migration of birds of prey from the Philippines to here, but also migration around the world, and the phenomenal heights that birds can achieve to catch those thermals. During the programme, Martin mentioned the app eBird, which is as easy as it sounds to type into Google to find out more. Martin is also the author of the book The 25 Best Day Walks in Hong Kong, which covers his favourite Hong Kong hikes. He also provides nature tours in Hong Kong, and if you'd like to see his website, it's drmartinwilliams.com or drmartinwilliams.com. I've posted all these details on the Hong Kong Heritage Facebook page, along with an article, if you'd like to read further, by Martin on the spring migration here. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.